Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the English Happy Hour Podcast. In today's show, we talk with our good buddy, tournament angler Matt Shura. Topics discussed include buying electronics, Nick's latest Mexico adventures, my recent event on Watts Bar, and we close the podcast out with some great close call boating stories from Matt. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's been about a week and a half since uh, we've been at you, maybe two, and uh, we are excited to catch up. I'm uh, just getting back from a tournament, and uh, the guys have a lot going on, so um, we've actually got a great guest as well. So let's just jump into uh, this right off the bat and uh, start with Rob. What's up What's up your way, man? Um, been fishing a little bit. Fishing's been really good here. Um... I'm getting ready. I'm what two weeks away from heading to Minnesota, so I'm pretty much that's about all I'm thinking about. Um, last Saturday, I went on a hike. Remember those photos I sent you guys? Yep. Yeah, ended up breaking my big toe on my right foot, so oh. that's been a little rough. So I'm in a boot right now. But, no way, uh, dude. Yeah, just like a little short boot. It's not that big of a deal, but it uh, it looks way worse than it is. I think so. Dang, dude. So what happened, dude? Did you just step wrong or how did you break your toe? Just old guy freaking hiking, I guess. I don't know. I just, all of a sudden I was on the ground. So I obviously kicked a rock that was sticking up in the trail or something. And uh, yeah, the guy that did the x-ray, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you did a pretty good number on that one. So man, so you got to have a better story. You got to say like spontaneous splunking or something. That's what like everyone's that. telling me. Like you like fell off the top of the cliff and blah, blah, blah. But no, it, uh, yeah. So not a big bro. Deal, but Rob, you're just too much vanilla ice cream. You gotta be I a little bit totally more rocky road. Boring. Yep. Yep. What, I mean, how long is it going to take until it's like back to normal? Like six weeks probably. So, but it does, it's not going to slow me down at all other than hiking and mountain biking, but fishing wise, I'll be fine. So that's good. Right on. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, dude, I just like, it's so hot here right now. And you know, when it gets super hot, the, the guiding slows down a bunch. So I've literally been sitting on my boat for hours a day, just messing with tackle. Like I, I haven't done that in years and like, I'm just so excited to get up there and get fishing and, uh, just something new. Like, I, th- I think it's common for people to get really bored on the fisheries that you just fish all the time. Uh, I know that sounds terrible, but there's a little reality to it, you know. I, so. I get it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it, it's a special feeling going to a new body of water. Like, there's yeah. just no feeling like it going to a lake that you've never been to before. The unknown about that is, uh, is so much fun, and you're getting ready to have a whole month of it. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, the other day I was talking with uh, Sean Coffee on the dock. He's another guy, a really good tournament angler out here, and. Uh, He's like, yeah, he goes, these lakes get boring. And he goes, I went up to Clear Lake. He goes, I thought I was like burning out on fishing. And he goes up to Clear Lake and he goes, you couldn't even pull me off the water. I was so excited. And that's just, I mean, that's, that's, I think I always say like the first few years of bass fishing when you're learning is hundred percent the most fun time you've ever fished. But I think you can revive that a little bit by going to a new body of water. So totally. Yeah, some of the, we always laugh about how monotonous, yeah, certain, certain things get, um, you know, at, with experience. And uh, last week we were at Watts Bar at our tournament and we had, uh, I'm on uh, the angler board um, with Major League Fishing. And before the actual tournament and regular meeting, we had an angler board meeting and we're all sitting there before the meeting starts. 
And we're literally all just lamenting about having to do our tackle. We're like, oh, <laughs> God, it's the worst. We got to do our tackle this afternoon and get ready for this tournament. Oh, we don't want to do it. And it's just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, 20 years ago, we would have been like, yeah, dude, we got this tournament coming up. We got to get our tackle ready. Here we go. 10 years ago for me. And I'm sitting there with David Walker, Brent Chapman, uh, Chris Lane, Brandon Colger, just guys that have been doing it forever. And we're like, oh, tackle. I think I just told you within the last couple of weeks, like you could be digging ditches. Exactly. And, and dude, so. hey, it's a, I, 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 sometimes I need to be reminded. Sometimes I remember on my own and I love yeah. every bit yeah. of it, you know, but it's just, it, you it's get just funny how life is when something, when something, even a passion turns into a job, it's, ultimately a job you know yeah so. yeah it's, it's 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 a spoiled point of view that's for sure but <laughs> i'm stoked to see that you're uh, fired up to, to fish dude that's pretty awesome and i'm glad they've been biting at home too that's if you can I, we always say in arizona if you can deal with the heat there's no better time to to fish like it's the yep. best time to be out on the water catching big fish these big fish they got to eat when it's this this hot yeah i can't remember the last time i've had clients catch the number of five to seven pound fish that they've caught recently it's uh pretty pretty exciting um I'm, I'm not looking forward to the day that i go out there and we don't catch those like i know it's coming so yeah but. i hear that that's cool well nick uh dude you've had had a lot of uh, a much different basically a uh, scenario going on for you for the last few weeks what's up your way man where are you at yeah, what's up, guys? <clears throat> I've been bouncing on and off mute, so I apologize. Max and I are hanging out this morning in our room, and uh, he's pretty excited to be the main guest. I know we got Matt coming on in a little while, and Matt's not as exciting as my three-year-old is. So I guarantee hopefully, that. Hopefully, Matt can can take that blow to his ego. But yeah, we're we're down here doing it, man. We've been in Mexico for the last two and a half weeks, and uh, he's attacking. Hey, buddy! Me right now there he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, kind of, we did this last year in June and we did it again this year and it's a great exercise in learning how to be flexible, you know what I'm saying? And so it's been really fun. We're, uh, we're checking out a bunch of new places, um, eating a lot of food that is amazing. And, you know, in America you say, oh, I love Mexican food. And then you come to Mexico and you're like, oh, it's like American Mexican food, Mexican food is pretty good. But uh, Mexico, Mexican food is on another level. So really? we've been doing a, doing a lot of that. Um, I didn't have any exciting fishing trips planned like I did last year. You know, last year I did Baccarat and, uh, and I got to go rooster fishing in Siwatanejo. I didn't have anything like that planned. But I've done some reconnaissance and I'm really excited. There's actually three reservoirs uh, not too far at all from where we stay. And it's kind of like uh, our Saguaro Canyon and Apache back in phoenix and uh i've even <clears throat> done some reconnaissance there's a couple of tackle stores here in leon and it's pretty cool man like there's there's a there's a community here that's all about bass fishing who would have thought you could come this far to a different country and uh and find people who are are down to fish it's it's pretty exciting and pretty have cool have you visited so, the stores yeah yeah i'll send you some pictures of it where there's one you know i i haven't found one that was just like a dedicated fishing store or one of them's inside of a paint store <laughs> so it must be like a, a family member deal where it's just kind of like the back the back of uh you know a brother or someone's paint store they're making it happen but we went to one of the reservoirs and uh there were some people on the on the dam fishing 
and uh, it's tilapia and shad and some big bass and uh it's pretty cool i apologize for this background noise that i have going on <laughs> but, it's like me uh, trying to do a business call dude it looks exactly the same <laughs> it reminds me of our last podcast when all of a sudden your garage door went up and Chantel's trying to park where you have the mm-hmm. table set up. But we're amateurs at best, and uh, <clears throat> everyone who's listening can appreciate that. But it's it's been really cool, man. It's uh, I don't know. It's also refreshing to come somewhere new and and just kind of see how people live. And there's been a lot of that going on too. And it's been fun for sure. We're actually coming home in a couple of days, and it feels like it's been too short already. So. I'm sure, I'm sure I asked you last year, but how far south are you? Yeah, so good question. So if you can envision in your mind, Mexico is kind of shaped like a funnel, and then it bends to the right, or right in the middle of the funnel. So okay. central Mexico, like smack dab, if you threw a, a dart at it, it'd be a bullseye where we so are. So Mexico City still south of you? Correct. Yeah, look at you, man. You're like Google Maps. Yeah, it's like three and a half hours south of us. Okay. Wow. So what are some of the stark differences, dude, like that are, uh, <laughs> that, that you wouldn't expect or that just catch you by surprise? Yeah, that's a great question, man, because there is definitely an element of culture shock um, just because we live in America where everything is in English. And so one of the most obvious ones is immersing yourself in a language that you're not very fluent with. <laughs> so you you obviously spend a lot of time being the butt of the joke because you're not always up to speed on what's being told, but I've lived my life as the butt of a joke. So that's not too big of an adjustment for me at all. But I would say just how friendly everyone is. You know, it's funny. I'm literally like the only white person. I've seen like three other white people since I've been here and everyone's so welcoming, man. They're just excited. They want to share with you. They want to show you what, you know, what their life is all about, what they like to eat. Everything here is so different, man. We're staying in a real urban kind of like not downtown, but urban area and here in america you buy everything at the grocery store right so you go to the grocery store once a week or every handful of days and you buy a bunch of stuff here you buy what you're going to have for the day and so right here across the street is uh like it kind of be like our version of a circle k show it to you out the window here like that building sells ice cream and that building over there sells pretty much everything you could think of from food to general toiletry items so it's just so different the way of life you just kind of live it one day at a time one hour at a time and it's cool it's refreshing it's definitely not how we live back home so it's cool that's crazy dude that's really interesting i mean would you say it's a little slower pace or a faster pace then yeah definitely on the slower side of things and that takes a little adjusting coming from our you know kind of hurry up and go mentality it's it's a different speed but it's not slow when you start driving. I've been driving down here for almost three weeks again. I rented a van and uh, yeah, there's nothing slow about a four lane roundabout that uh, it's kind of probably like, have you ever seen those like stationary waves that they have at like water parks where you can practice surfing and you just kind of like jump in and you're already in the tunnel of like a six foot wave. That's kind of the driving equivalent of one of those Glorietas. You just close your eyes you don't use a signal or anything, you, you know, and if you accelerate into them, I think you have a better chance of getting through them without trading paint with anyone, you know, like Ricky Bobby Gosh. style. You just, you just accelerate into it and let it shoot you out the other side. Yeah. The driving's not a slow pace, but the living is. <laughs> That's gnarly. Yeah, right on. What, and what day do you come, <clears throat> come home? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're blasting off a couple days from now. So we're doing this on a Thursday, I think. Who knows what day it is. And I, I get home on Monday. So nice. Then we're doing a quick turnaround and back to Jordan Lake. Hopefully the next podcast I'll be telling you all the secrets of 
how to catch huge spotted bass on Jordan Lake. Cause I almost had them dialed in in March. I think I caught two bass and six days of fishing. So I'm, nice. I'm right there at the top. I think I'm about to be a guide there. Dustin Connell better look out. Well, yeah. Hey, this is the time of year you did fish with Dustin though, right? You can maybe go apply some of that stuff to, uh, to this. Trip, it was in possibly. October, but yeah, I bet. Oh, it's not I gotcha. di- yeah. But I, I don't know, man. They're probably, you know, super postponed back offshore where I have a snowball's chance of finding them. So Cool. You know, I, I don't lament over all the five pounders. Sadly, I haven't caught a five pounder in probably five years. It feels like, so anything will be great. Nice. That's cool. Well, uh, glad to hear it, man. It sounds like quite the trip and, uh, yeah, just stoked to hear more about it, but I'm sure you're looking forward to hopefully wetting line over there in Alabama. Yeah, for sure. So man, you had a good tournament on Watts bar. What's up with that? Yeah, thanks. I, I uh, just got back from, from, uh, quite the road trip, man. I, Went out, fished that tournament at Watts Bar. Then I had to, uh, or I got to work a high school fishing camp for a couple of days over at Kentucky Lake. Then I went back to Chickamauga to take some customers fishing for a sponsor. So yeah, I was there for, I was out of town for over two weeks for one tournament, but uh, the tournament went pretty well. Uh, Watts Bar is a Tennessee River Lake. So when you hear about Tennessee River in the summertime, you think ledge fishing, right? And that's kind of what I thought. I, I told my buddies, you know, uh, that I traveled with, I'm like, I'm going into this thing, looking at it like a regular ledge fishing tournament, you know, that was my game plan. And uh, after idling around ledges for the first six hours of practice, it was pretty apparent that that wasn't going to work. It, uh, it's, mm. it's really interesting because this is Tennessee River, but, and this is the lake above Chickamauga, which is one of the most famed ledge fishing lakes in the country. But this lake is so dominated by stripers, big stripers, and also white uh, bass that those largemouth can't get out on the ledges. They will literally get eaten by striper. How, so, how did you know right away it wasn't going to be the deal? Just dude, from- well, I mean, I didn't, right? It took – so I go out and practice with that approach, and I idle around – a bunch of ledges and see nothing but white bass. And I, I tried to fish a little bit and white bass, white bass, white bass, white bass. Uh, never saw anything that was definitely largemouth. And then um, started seeing a bunch of brush piles and the brush piles were good, you know, catching some scorables out of the brush piles. And it took an entire practice and into the tournament to really understand what was going on. But like the stripers, what basically you, you figured out was the stripers dominate the obvious ledges and the primo stuff. And then the largemouth, they want to get offshore. They want to get into that current in the summertime, but the only way they can do it is to hide in a brush pile, right. And get that yeah. cover in a brush pile. So that was the deal. Ended up marking about 50 brush piles uh, the first day of practice. And the second day I went shallow and found one really good section of docks, um, and shallow cover where you know the whole deal on that lake it's it's not the healthiest lake as far as not, uh, size goes it's got tons of fish in it but it's we laughed it's the bartlett lake of uh tennessee it's got i mean you could go out and catch 30 to 60 fish honestly no problem but out of those 30 to 60 to catch a handful of scoreables you were lucky and a scoreable this week was only one and a half but that's like a, a 15, 16 inch fish. They were so skinny. And, uh, you know, if you go on and do a lot of research on this place and watch videos and stuff, you'll watch the local anglers talk about catching a keeper. Ooh, that's a keeper. Ooh, that's <laughs> a keeper. And 
anytime you're on a body of water and the and people are talking about catching a keeper, you're talking about a lake with a lot of small fish, right? Yep. I mean, yep. there's not most lakes people don't get fired up to catch a 15 inch keeper, right? Usually it's a big one, right? <laughs> yes, dude. Yes, especially Tennessee River. But you keep, ooh, that's a keeper. You know, you keep hearing that. It's like. Ooh, I'm not excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another pound and three quarter. All right. Yeah, dude. So here's the deal. And for me, there's, there are a lot of local tournaments out there. So I found when I would fish around the lake, I'd get bit everywhere, but you might fish a section of the lake and catch 10 non-scorables in a row, 15 in a row. And there are two big giant creeks that tons of tournaments go out multiple night tournaments a week. Uh, big tournaments on the weekends and you'd get closer or into those two creeks and the average size just went way up because because of purely off release fish you know <laughs> and there might be fish that were caught a month ago but they're still in the they're still within a couple miles of that boat ramp and uh, it went from catching one in one in ten being a scoreable to one in two being a scoreable so wow. really i just based my whole approach on <laughs> staying within the vicinity of those two t- and, and honestly i would say over half the field did the same thing it was no secret it's no no uh you know really advanced thing it was like hey you get closer to to these tournament sites and the size goes up so uh yeah i had one really good uh, shallow stretch where i'd go through in the mornings you know skipping a jig up under docks which again it was weird uh under docks early in the mornings but uh that was the deal and I'd, I'd get way ahead have good mornings get get up up in the standings pretty far and then the brush pile deal was my deal to kind of keep catching fish later in the day and uh the nice. first two days of the tournament they, they went really well early and then i kind of faded off later in the day but it was enough to make the cut easily and, and be feeling good about it and then um What's crazy is in the knockout round, the my shallow stretches just were completely worthless. The whole there were four guys that started in the creek that I started in, and after an hour of fishing, there was one bass caught. It was Bobby Lane, Gerald Sporer, Zach Burge, and myself all in this creek. And an hour into the day, Bobby Lane has one bass. No one else has a bass. <laughs> I couldn't, I, dude. So I just pulled the plug right away. I'm like, whatever's going on. That what happened was there was a mayfly hatch that hadn't happened in there yet. And that mayfly hatch, I think, pulled the fish out from under the docks and up under the trees where the mayflies were hatching. And I tried, like, I, you know, I threw a frog under some of those trees and, and pitched a jig up to the trees a little bit. But it was amazing to see that phenomenon, how it went from the day before it was on fire to, like, all of a sudden it was just a 180. So I pulled the plug and went brush pile fishing. And the brush piles were actually better than they had been for me. Uh, I ended up catching five or six good scorables out of the piles in the second period. And one in the third, I just, I, I ended up in 20th in that group out of the 40 guys. And it just, if I, if I could have had the morning bite to go with it, I think I could have made the top 10. But uh, anyways, it, it, that was the end of it. It was, it was a pretty good tournament. And what's interesting on the brush piles too is you have such a short practice you end up trying to learn in the tournament and uh, out of the 50 or so piles i said i marked only about seven of them were of, of them were good you know and instead of fishing them in practice i just marked them and as i was going through the tournament it was like okay well this one i fished it twice and never saw fish let's mark let's, let's take this one out of the rotation so i was learning as i went but um was there an you know, obvious difference between a good one and a bad one once you figured them out hard hard to say man not i mean some of them 
Not really, honestly. There were some that you th- would think would be really good, and they just weren't. Um, there was one general section of piles that was really good, like like a half half mile to a mile section. And then one of the uh, drawbacks, the only drawback to that section on that last day was there were like five or six good piles. And this guy named Jordan Lee was fishing, knew that those exact same five or six piles were good. So we were literally hopping back and forth and we caught the same weight. We fished, finished one spot off each other. So if a guy would have had them to himself, I think it would have been another ticket to the top 10, but you got unlucky there. Can you kind of paint a picture of what the brush piles were like depth, what they were made of, how you fished them? Yeah. So, and that was another thing, you know, there was, uh, there were piles anywhere from 10 to 25 feet. And 15 feet was 100% the magic number when you'd find them in 15 feet. And they were big piles, you know, it always blows my mind. You go to a lake and you've got all these big, beautiful brush piles that have been planted in, in just the perfect places, right? And it's like, I don't know who did this, but I love you, whoever did. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of work, dude, to, to make a brush pile the size of the front deck of your boat, you know, yep. and put it in the perfect spot. And uh, they, they were all over that lake. I mean, the section I was fishing there were tons of them. And some of the guys like uh, Lucas and Wheeler were down on the lower end doing the same thing. And there's hundreds and hundreds of piles on that lake. And, and what's crazy is they plant them in this current, man. I mean, you're on the Tennessee river and they're out in the main river. So they have to use some serious anchor systems to keep these things from just washing down the river, especially when that current gets rolling. I was impressed. Yeah, no kidding. That is, I wonder how it's done. Is there more to it than just a a pile of brush like i wonder how they do that yeah i don't know how i mean there's obviously a lot of uh, they must hire an engineer cinder blocks or something like that but yeah i mean mm-hmm. dude there's some i guarantee there's some pretty smart rednecks that are that are up to that <laughs> dude that sounds like a tournament i would have done well and it sounds like the pattern was sloppy seconds and i've made it 34 <laughs> years so far in my life focusing on sloppy seconds so i would have done really well this tournament yeah i, don't know I mean that's that really from yeah exactly it, it almost every fish you caught had a call tag hole on this, especially <laughs> those, those brush pile fish were a little fresher. They were a little more on the main, but dude, those fish that were under docks, I mean, and you could see the progression of where the fish would go. You'd have the boat ramp where they'd release all the fish. And then, you know, just every key <laughs> there, there, there'd be a bunch of them under every key boat dock and stuff like that. And early yeah. in the morning, they were just a little bit more aggressive, easier to catch, but it was kind of fun, dude. Live scope again, some of the docks were deep. So you would see, you'd pull up to this dock and these aren't floating docks. Unlike Smith Lake, these are big docks that have big wooden pylons, you know, connecting it to the bottom. In the mornings, they would almost be out, all be out off the end where you'd look and you'd shine your live scope at the outside pilings. And you'd a lot of times see one big mark sitting you know, six inches off this outside piling and you'd flip your jig and the jig would be coming down and you'd watch it. And you just watch that fish just move. And when that fish moved, it was your jig was in his mouth. You know, you'd you'd pull, you'd feel, and then your line be swimming off and you'd set the hook and catch him. So that was pretty uh. fun. And then as that sun came up, the fish would move around the docks. You know, they would uh they would follow where the most shade was at and stuff like that. So um and then once in a while someone would have a brush pile next to the dock or back inside the dock where that would be uh, a big bonus too. But just a different style of fishing and and um talk about it with Gerald a little bit, but live scope has, has made me enjoy fishing docks a lot more, you know, just because your, your percentage just goes so up so much, you know, you know, if you, you're still going to flip to almost every piling, but if you don't see a fish, 
obviously you're, you're going to flip to it once. Whereas if you see a couple of fish, you're going to flip every angle of that piling until you should put it in front of that fish. So, uh, <laughs> Pretty what cool. kind of depths were those docks in? Were they pretty shallow being attached to the bottom? They were deep, dude. I was pretty blown away. Like sometimes the, the dock, the outside pilings would literally be in 18, 20 feet. And wow. that fish might be sitting down 10. So okay. you'd, you'd flip and you'd let, you'd just be stripping line off your reel, trying to keep it falling straight. And uh, a lot of times those bites would come pretty deep. So how do you, uh, how do you think live scope's going to play like in Minnesota with those shallow <laughs> docks? I think a lot of those docks are, you know, five foot is a deep dock. I think, I think a lot less, dude. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you could still use it and, and, but those Northern docks, they're, they're really shallow. So many of those Northern lakes have a real shallow pitch to the bank, you know, as natural you know, lake, natural right? lakes, they're yeah. really, and it's, dude, I used to think those docks were too shallow, but it, it still blows my mind on those Northern docks where your boat's sitting in a foot and a half. It was literally a bear to get your boat, sometimes a foot. And, and you got your big motor cranked all the way up and your trolling motor is like almost grinding bottom and you're looking and you still in this one. crystal clear water and it's just a skimpy little metal dock. <laughs> and you're like, I don't see any fish. I could see there's nothing there. And you throw your bait under the dock and out of nowhere, a fish comes <laughs> and eats your bait. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's just amazing. The fish are just blended in or sitting right up underneath it. But and, and that's like a total northern thing, man. It's just you skip a, a weightless worm or a, I love to do it with a swim jig because it's so much faster and the fish are so aggressive. But, you know, you can just skip that swim jig under there and the fish come out of nowhere. I, I love doing that. How's your skipping game? Is it getting better and better now that you're doing it more? It definitely is. I mean, I'm, I'm no Brian Thrift, but compared to where it was 10 years ago, it's uh, night and day, you know, and again, yeah. a lot of it's using the right bait and just doing it, doing it and doing it. But I felt last week I, I was like feeling really good about, uh, about where that's at. So just practice nice. for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's not a, it's not an Arizona technique. Like, um, it, exactly. it's something you, you, you just don't do it here. So <laughs> it's really difficult with, if you use too your tackles too heavy, it's really tough. I mean, I was, I was throwing a jig, but I was throwing it on a seven foot medium heavy with 15 pound line. So really yeah. just basic generic, but throwing a seven foot medium heavy compared to a seven, six heavy, you can skip so much better with, with a little bit of that softer tip and, and shorter rod for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. But anyways, uh, we've gone along there. Um, we got a couple of things to talk about, and then we're going to send it over to our buddy, Matt Shura. He's got a good uh, close call story, and we'll chat with him a little bit. But um, we did have one Q&A uh, question um, like a couple weeks ago, and I don't think we ever got to it. But it was a, And I don't have it in front of me, but it was a gentleman, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but it was a guy that was asking about um, setting his boat up with Garmin, right? Yeah, let me just go ahead and pull it up for us here. Nice, thanks. Let's see if you, if you can yeah. get to it. I think it was our buddy Patrick, but uh, again, just going off of memory here. Yeah, it was. And uh, <clears throat> he uh, referenced that I told him to start chasing catfish because it sounds like he's better at catching catfish with his uh, crankbaits. And, uh, and then he said um, he did buy some hooks to change out on that crankbait. So we'll see how that works and the color change. Nice. And then he said, he told Rob already that he had recently ordered a new boat. So congratulations to him. Sounds like in November, he's going to be big, big pimping out on the Sweet. lake in a new boat. And then he <laughs> says, I've already ordered the Garmin LVS 34 transducer. 
but what size and model graph would you recommend using? I've been looking at Echo Map Ultras, but just wanted your guys' opinion, which means Josh and Rob, because my opinion is completely useless on that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, Rob, since you've been uh, diving headfirst into this, I want you to go first, and then I'll go second. But I'll start um, calling him Garmin Rob. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, you're the new aficionado here with electronics, dude. I'll go not second it, on this. One. I'm not the, even close. The uh, 15 percenter over there. Yeah, Give I have. I only have experience with the uh, Echo Map, the the 12s, and that was only because the 10s weren't available. So, um, I know Josh, you run the 10, and I think I don't think you can go wrong either either way. Um, you could obviously spend a bunch more money and get the, what is, what's the, the next series of, uh, the 8,600, um, yeah. it's yeah, kind which, of pointless, it, right? They're amazing units, but I think you're spot on the, it, yeah, I mean, I agree to the, the echo map ultras are the perfect for bass fishermen. You know, they make a 10 and a 12 inch and, and you can't, whichever one fits your boat better, whichever one, you know, you like better, it, it, it whatever's a better deal but they both do the exact same thing um that i love the 12s i got two 12s in the back and two 10s in the front i like the 10s up front just because you, you know you're casting you're flipping your bait and the 10s are just a little bit more aerodynamic you're less chance of smashing a tungsten weight into your screen or something <laughs> like that and there's just you know, I've got them stacked on top of each other. Um, if you were only running one, it's nice to have the 12. But if you're running two, it is nice to have 10s. Um, and I think the screen's really, really clear on them. Now, you can save some money and get the um, 93, which is a 9-inch, but you don't have near the pixels and, and screen that you have on the 10 and 12. So um, you, you can't go wrong, but if you can get a, a 106 or a 126, I would definitely do that. And um, the 10 is, is fine. I mean, it's, it's plenty big for sure. Now, there's a right now, I don't even know if we'll get this thing out in time, but there's a, a big sale at Bass Pro for Father's Day going on. You could save $300 on the Echo Map 93. So if you're, if you're pinching pennies right now, if the gas prices have got you down, um, you could save a lot of money. Who would be doing money. that? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by getting the 93, but if it's something that, you're not really wanting to skimp and keep it for a while. I would say get the 106 or 126 for sure. Um, and they they all link together, so you can put them at the console and link them all up, right? Compared exactly. to again, 8600. Is that right? Yep. Is that so? Those don't link with the Echo Maps. So. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, really, it's I, I would highly recommend just getting the Echo Maps. Yeah. Um, unless you want to spend fifteen grand outfitting your boat, so or more. Um, they're awesome. They're they're all good. But and, and I think next week what we're gonna do, we're running short on time. We got to bring Matt in. But at that high school camp, I was I was just at. I did seminars. I did one hour seminars on electronics, and I and we went. I did it with Spencer Sheffield and Brandon Hunter, and they brought up so much good stuff, and uh, we just the conversations we had with these kids, it was, it was, it was enlightening to me too. So I think we should try to maybe recreate that on the show here next Great week. Call. Yep. And, and I think uh, it, it would be really informative. So if you're in for a, a nerd electronic session, stay tuned. We're going to go into it uh, pretty deep, but that's I mean, a lot of it's basic stuff, but there were some interesting little tips that they had and it reminded me of a, a couple things that I do that, that might be interesting for listeners too. So We'll try that. I'll next be week. I'll be sure to drink a lot of coffee so I can stay awake for that snooze fest. 
<laughs> you guys in this yeah. wimpy new technology. Whatever happened to just blind casting for 10 hours a day, getting three <laughs> bites? That was when fishing was really interesting. Dude, I, I'll, uh, I'll leave it at this before we bring Matt on. Uh, and Chris will laugh at this. And Chris ended up having a great tournament. So I can, I'm not afraid to bust his chops on this. But last <laughs> week at, last week at Watts Bar, it had frustrated a lot of guys because it was hard to catch the big ones up shallow. And then you go deep. And everyone expected it to be a ledge tournament. And, and dude, all of us were beating our heads against the wall trying to find them on ledges all throughout practice. Just like thinking, well, if there's one school out here, if there's one school, it's worth it, right? Well, Chris Lane, he's a shallow power fisherman, right? He he rarely fishes offshore. And I saw him on the second day of practice just drifting, like, <laughs> down. There was a series of shoals, you know, a series of, of 10 shoals over the court, over a half mile of, of water. And he was just drifting. He looked like he was on another planet. He's just holding like a Carolina rig or something and letting the current take him down. He's just like, he'd given up. And I, I laughed so hard looking at him, you know, and uh, he ended up absolutely blasting him up shallow on a uh, plopping bait in the tournament and had a great tournament, almost made the top 10. So if he wouldn't have had a good tournament, I wouldn't have said this, but like, I was just la like Aww. basically doing exactly what Nick was talking about. Like, I don't care. Eventually it's going to, it's going to come <laughs> in front of a fish, you know, and I'll catch him. But we've all been, uh, there, we've all oh, been yeah. there. And I love to just, you know, I like a little satire in my life and I know that that's the opposite. And uh, there is a percentage of people that hear that you use live scope to identify one fish on one column, two thirds of the way down to the bottom and you pitch to it and caught it. There's a certain percentage of people that get their feathers ruffled in that. Whatever, who cares, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, well, cool. Anything else that you guys have before we uh, send it over to Matt? I uh, I was so distracted when I was trying to describe Mexico there. My my three-year-old was giving me a hard time. But uh, I'll, we always promise to post pictures. But I sent you guys the picture of my sweet uh, 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 beard and fade haircut that I got at a Mexican barbershop, right? How, how much was, uh, Rob, are you thinking you might adopt that style? It would look good on you. You actually have a nice looking beard there. Do you want me to show you what I've learned? No, I deleted that photo on my phone. I didn't have that there. <laughs> it was, wow, I'm so honored. So it, you it had that, that professionally done, dude? Bro, it was as professional as you are on the major league fishing was the barbershop equivalent of that. It was amazing, dude. He kept telling me, you know, my broken Spanish is very dangerous. And he was telling me he was going to perform magic. And he did not disappoint, baby. He magic. painted that thing in. Dude, that was magic. I had more facial hair for three hours until I went home and washed it off. Man, he painted that thing in. It looked so good. It's like the old days before Rogan when they would just paint the bald spot on the back of your head to match the color of your hair. And it looked like magically you had hair again it was like that it was it was pretty good you know i'm laying there in the barber's chair uh getting getting cut and faded and all of that and just you know thinking over the course of my life how i got to this point in this chair and when i got up finally it was like an hour to get all that done i, I over i was over delivered and under promised and i looked on the wall of this barbershop dude and there's a picture of old Mexico, probably in like the 1800s, right? And it must have been like right after they won the revolution against Spain. And uh, there's just all these like old Mexican, you know, they weren't old, but it was an old picture. They had their sombreros, you know, and they're drinking tequila and they all have like real serious faces like they do in the old days in those pictures. 50 people in this picture, right? All Mexican guys, big mustaches. And then in the left corner, 
there's this crazy ass looking white guy and his eyes are like bugging out and he's wearing the biggest sombrero and he has this shit eating grin. And I was like, look, I reincarnated from that guy. Here I am 200 years later. It's like, that is who I have become. So I'll paint, I'll, I'll put the picture up. I look like a DJ Khaled. It's so good. Yeah. We'll do a side-by-side comparison and people can say who wore the look better. And it's obvious it was me. So I showed it to Chantal and she goes, is he kidding or is he serious? (laughs) When was the last time I was kidding, bro? My life is serious. Dead serious. Exactly. I love it. Well, please post that, dude. That was uh, that was good entertainment for us. The, the listeners definitely deserve to see that. Yeah, it was a it was a great time for sure, and uh, it was funny, man. I uh, I found out he's he's pretty legit on YouTube, so I can post a link to his YouTube channel so people can see who actually did. You either of you guys actually look at that? That was that was pretty amazing. That's the, the guy who cut my hair. The YouTube? No. I sent you a link to his his YouTube channel, right? Did you watch it? I don't know. No, I just saw the pictures. Maybe you did. Okay. I didn't see a link either. Oh, okay. Well, I'll make sure. I promise. I triple pinky promise that it's going on the Instagram page as soon as we sign off on this. Nice. Please do it. That's cool. Okay. Well, with that, yep. I uh, hope you guys enjoy Matt Shura and be uh, watching the Instagram for Nick's new look. <laughs> Everybody, we talked about him a little bit in the intro, but uh, this is our good buddy, uh, super talented tournament angler guide, uh, Matt Shura. He lives here in the Valley, and uh, we go way back with Matt. Dude, it's, it's good to see you, man. What's going on your way? Yeah, good to see you guys, man. Just getting ready to head out to Roosevelt Lake for a, for a tournament, you know, an all-night tournament, six to six, and uh, yeah, excited. That's cool. I know a lot of the listeners already know you and uh, some of the listeners that aren't from around here probably remember you uh, from your infamous story about uh, getting hooked in the uh, dinger, as you as you called it in in one of your first episodes, dude. Um, And and when I asked you about this, I thought, well, man, maybe maybe some of these guys haven't heard that one yet. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm glad you've got a lot of other stories anyways. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about lately on the show are close call stories from the outdoors, man. Um, I guess we'll get right into it now. Um, do you have, do you have a couple that, that stand out to you or any that stand out to you? Yeah. Yeah. You, you text me and I, I started, you know, thinking about it. I mean, the one, the one deal at Pleasant I'll, I'll definitely talk about, but one that I kind of remembered, you know, and this is going back to 2000, 2001, uh, Apache Lake, man. Uh, I don't know if you remember the five-star tournaments, the couples tournaments. So I had my, my poor girlfriend, you know, drag her to the lake at two 30 in the morning. And, you know, Mary was her name and, you know, uh, they were going out of the Marina. So we launched a burnt corral in the dark and this is winter time and we're heading to the Marina. So what is that? You, you guys say four or five mile run, you know, in the dark and that kind of thing you know, and most of us know how to, you know, navigate those lakes, you know, we've been on them enough. And I remember in the old days, you just, before GPS, we just had a spotlight and it's like, where's that buoy? Where's that buoy? There's that buoy. Now I know where I'm at, you know, there's that buoy. Now I know where I am. And that's kind of the way we did it back then. And, and uh, yeah, so we launched at Burnt Corral at Apache Lake, headed to the Marina to check in for the tournament. And, you know, every, every couple minutes, you know, you turn on your spotlight and okay, there's those buoys and just do a scan and then turn your spotlight off. And that's one thing I was going to ask all you guys, you know, Rob and Nick and everybody, um, from what I understand, uh, Mike Brillhart had one of the lights on his trolley motors that was on full time and he got a ticket for it. They said, you cannot have 
a light on full time, like headlights running down the lake because it blinds other drivers on the lake. And I didn't know that. I, I don't know if you guys have any knowledge on that. I, I, I haven't read the laws or anything like that, but he, he got a ticket for that. So it has to be intermittent, but luckily um, I shined the spotlight and was doing a scan and I just saw a flash and I went right back to that flash and it was a, you know, 12, 14 foot aluminum boat just floating oh. in the middle of the lake. So oh. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing 45, 50 miles an hour, you know, just trimmed up a little bit, just, you know, cruising along, you know, heading to the Marina and I don't know how I missed him. I mean, I just, I backed off the throttle and cranked it and, and oh. all of a sudden this head pops up <laughs> and looked around and wondering what the heck just happened. And Holy cow. it's like, dude, I, I oh. almost, and, and you know, I'm not usually a angry guy and don't scream at people, but I nah. said, man, there's, there's a dozen other boats coming behind me, man. You need to, you know, turn some lights on, flash your flashlight, something, or get the heck out of here. And yeah. you know, obviously, yeah, he was having a fun night and maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe had a few drinks. And, and he passed out. out. 30 Keystone lights later. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the one that I remember probably the closest call because I think my rub rail, once I turned it to the side, clipped the front of his boat because I turned just in time. Holy cow, dude. Yeah. So that, that was, that was one that, that stands out to me. And, and so, you know, that night driving and everything else, we rely on our GPS and, and everything else so much nowadays, but you know, if there's a malfunction in that or you lose signal and, and everything else. I mean, it's definitely a great tool and it's helped me a ton now, but keeping that spotlight on and everything else for sure. But, but that one was scary. Um, you know, one that really stood out that kind of, you know, <laughs> got your heart pumping for sure. But you probably would, you would have been probably okay there. That other dude was the one that would have probably been uh, in real trouble. Right. I mean, anyone could have got hurt, but. And then you got to deal with that though, the rest of your yeah. life. That's the crappy part about that whole it's situation. Not your fault at all, dude. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you have too big of a conscience. You just mow them over and keep going. <laughs> I'm in a tournament. That's right. I'm in a derby, bro. Uh, I got fish to catch. I hate I hate to bring it up, but I think you know Rob and Josh. You guys, you probably remember Gordon Williams' incident. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Terrible. Absolutely, just getting on plane. You know, hit a hit a kayaker and had to had to bring him into the boat and take him to the dock and and uh, all that. You know, it's just yep. just an incident that happened. And and yeah, it, he's. He pretty much quit fishing and, you know, mm. help, you know, and everything else. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's one thing that people don't think about is the, you know, in, in I guess. It's yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It happened so quick. And, and Hey, Matt, you were a firefighter for, uh, you know, recently retired, man. And dude, you've seen so many, I'm sure you, I know you've seen so much crazy stuff, but it all happens in the blink of an eye, man. Every one of these stories, like just nice day out fishing and all you blink and, uh, and that's when the craziness unfolds, man. It all happened so quick, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just, you know, I worked in for Gilbert fire for 25 years and just, I'm, I'm staying with my mom real, you know, she had some, some medical issues as well, had a little stroke and everything else, but um, just driving through the town, you know, I just, you know, it's like, I remember innovating a guy there. <laughs> yep. remember this guy lost his leg here, you know, and it's just, <laughs> It's funny how it works. I mean, you know, you deal with it, but some people, you know, have trouble with it. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I know Gordon went through some tough stuff. So, yep. you know, just uh, 
Yeah, it's good you're doing this deal, Josh, and raising awareness. You know, it's it's. I've taken some pictures on Facebook running down the lake uh, with no life jacket, and I'll tell you, Kent Brown has a radio show. He, you know, he texts me right away and he says, "Hey, we need to promote wearing life jackets and all that." I'm like, "Okay," but you know, kind of didn't think a lot about it. But at the same time, we don't pull out of a parking lot in our vehicles without a seatbelt on, so it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. And you can get thrown out of your boat, you know, if your steering oh. goes out. Motor flies off if you, you know, that's I, I've had a couple times where I was on a turn, you know, going fast and I trimmed it down a little bit because of waves. And, and, you know, especially I had a charger boat that had a little deeper front, you know, V in the front and I was trimming down. And another couple's tournament, the poor, poor girl I put her through. <laughs> you know, I'm shocked um, you guys aren't still together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she told me. Uh, she pretty much told me to go be with the fish. Um, she yeah. she left you for a golfer. <laughs> She's like, I'll just go sit in a golf cart and get drunk. It's much safer. Yeah. yeah, she she loved fishing as long as the you know it was between seventy five and eighty two degrees and the fish were biting. It was cool. <laughs> oh, her and I'd get along great. I think we we're about the same level of fishermen. There you go. There you go. But, uh, but the, yeah, but but. But another one that, that, that stands out in my memory, um, I was fishing a, a tournament at Lake Pleasant, a day tournament, and we had a, a 99 Nitro Savage 912. And I don't know if you remember, you, you had a, a, an older Nitro, didn't you, Josh? Yeah, I had a, uh, dude, my first one was a 190. Oh, 190, okay, yep. that's right. So, yep, which, which model are you talking here, 929? No, this is the the, the savage. The nine, yeah, the savage nine twelve. Rob, 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 run okay. the, ran them, Yeah, I ran right? those for quite a few years. Yep. Yeah, good boats, and that's one of. Uh, I know KCEY was always that was always his favorite boat. The I think the nineteen footer. I, I don't remember what model that was, but I had the nine twelve nitro, and back then I don't know if you guys were like me at all, but we just wanted to go as fast as the boat would go, and I don't know six or seven props later, and changing the motor height about eight or nine times. Nice. I was in a a tournament by myself and ran all the way up in Castle Creek, didn't catch him, and was running back to the main lake. And I was just running this newer prop, and I'm trimmed trimmed up all the way full throttle, and I'm just got my eyes on the GPS, and I see 69, 70, 71.2, 71.5, and right about the time I said, (laughs) "Man, this prop's this prop's killing us," you know, it's like (laughs) I I hit the weirdest wave, man. It's like I sunk, it wasn't a wave. It's like I sunk down and I got popped up. And 100%, that Nitro 912 went vertical. And the boat was like this, vertical. And my body came out from the seat and I was holding onto the steering wheel like Superman. And, you know. (laughs) Like a dirt bike. And the boat came down. (laughs) The boat really wasn't funny at the time, but thanks. Yeah. (laughs) No. The boat came down on the on the right side first and bounced, and the left side bounced again on the right side, and then flattened out. And when I came down, I, I my hip uh, broke the shifter, you know, the throttle and the and the shifter uh, knob, and so I'm grabbing the nub that's left, <laughs> slowing down, and then I'm just cruising fine. And I look around, I'm like, wow, you know, and that could have been catastrophic, but I did have my life jacket on on that one for sure in a tournament, but 
that was one that gave me respect. That was really my first bass, really fast bass boat, you know, that I, that I had. And, and that day I got respect for it and got lucky, you know, and that's the thing. We don't need a driver's license for these boats. And they just, Oh, here's the keys to a $70,000 boat. You know, Mike Brillhart's got a 450 on his bass cat and that thing will do in the mid nineties. You know, he backed it off at 92 and he said it runs good. 92 miles an hour. And he's still got more, you know, he's still kind of learning the boat. And that's a good point right there. You really learn your boat. Every boat's different. Even the same model boats, every boat drives different. Yeah. So, hey, know. he's just like Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last, right? He's, he's got the right <laughs> approach. Yeah, but the amazing part is they'll hand a brand new person that's never driven a boat before that boat if you got the money. And, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I don't want God too many bless rules. America. Should <laughs> be some kind of boating safety class if you got a boat that goes over fifty or something. I don't know. <laughs> ah, it's overrated. <laughs> no, I'm, you I'm make of course some great kidding. points though, dude. You make you make great points, and, and yep. knowing your boat, like like earlier, you referenced um, you know trimming down during a turn, and I remember a tournament down at the St. John's River. Like you, we would take off way up river, and everyone was running down river to Lake George. And so you're running a river at first and you would go a half mile down and there would be a hairpin turn, you know, uh, almost 180 degree turn to, to go around a river bend. And, you know, everyone was like, Hey dude, last year, three boats crashed going around this, this turn your last time we were here. So be careful. And, and it's so important because like every, you're, you're, you're hauling butt, you're trimmed up and it's, it's your instinct to trim down to kind of get your boat into the water and make that turn, but you have to trim down before you turn. You know, if you try to trim down when you're making a turn, just like Matt said, it's especially in boats with a big V, it's really common in rangers. Like so many rangers have bow hooked because that steep V is out of the water. And if you trim it down and it goes in the water when the boat's going straight, no big deal. But if you're on a turn and that that thing comes down into the water, it'll just grab the water and spin you out. So, uh, so dangerous. And, uh, you know, just, you just got to remember trim down before you turn for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and you're dealing with boat wake too, and, and that just adds to it. So once that V catches, you know, you're, you're stopped right now from 65 to zero and it can hurt a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I would yeah. I would say that's the most common bass boat accident, right? Is like is a is your bow grabbing and just spinning you out, right? Gary, boat Gary stops, Dobbins. but you don't. Yeah, Gary Dobbins got thrown out of out of his boat at the Delta, and I, I don't know the exact situation, but I think it was that same exact deal. So just to be aware of it, know your boat. I know guys in the Skeeters, they'll they'll do three sixties at <clears throat> an hour, but I, I I I'm not willing to try that. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. I hear that. That is pretty crazy. And all the boats are different. That you know, the nitros they're a little more forgiving there, but you still got to be careful with it. You know, you, at tournament takeoffs when you're crossing wakes, such an important time to be paying attention and, and being careful. That's a really dangerous uh, time too. But like you said, even when you least expect it, it's a nice calm day out on Lake Pleasant, and uh, all it takes is the one wrong boat wake or the one wrong thing, and. Uh, you can be in serious trouble. So well, it hasn't Lake Pleasant. Didn't it go like six or seven weeks this year with a fatality? Wasn't it some terrible stretch? Yeah, six weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it just it does happen. You know, it's it's fun to talk about stories because they most of them are having a happy ending. But safety it. first. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Hey, how about Cliff's story? When Cliff had come on the podcast, he had a similar uh, wake jump like you, dude. But he had this co-angler that um, he draws the night before whatever, and this guy's like 80, and he had just had a major surgery. You know, and he goes up to meet Cliff, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm Joe. How's it going? And Cliff's like, are, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I just had surgery, but, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> and uh, – Dude, they're at Columbia River, and they run oh. however far. You know, it's calm, and they run 60 miles or something, go through the lock, and they come out of the lock, and they're racing another boat to get to a spot. And uh, they hit some barge wake or something, that same thing he didn't see, and he does the, the same thing where they launch. And Cliff's holding onto the steering wheel, and he looks over at this other guy, and his feet are up in the air. <laughs> and, uh, like, the guy got thrown out of his seat, and he's just going like this, like flying through the air and uh, comes down and lands and he can't even talk when when the boat comes down the guy's just like oh like that you know and they're 60 miles from the rail sorry oh it's hilarious because the guy lived you know but it's scary and (laughs) and imagine if you had someone with you when you launched your boat dude they don't have the steering wheel to hold on to right right as a co-angler sorry to cut you off man as a co-angler that was always my biggest fear too and you meet someone in the morning and you'd be sizing them up and be like all right are you hung over maybe not it's like how long have you had this boat you know because like the going especially if there's no console you're holding on to one thing down low by your legs and maybe one torso height on the left side it's it's like riding a bull josh what was your statement it's hilarious because he lived yeah i'm i'm uh, probably not nice but dude <laughs> we need to make a t-shirt right that's <laughs> It's yeah. hilarious because he's alive. 100% of the fire department, you know, you fall off the truck or do something stupid. It's like, hey, man, you, you, you okay? It's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's this good, yeah. But, but hey, the, you know what? Something just popped in my head. I just, real quick, I, I, I got to tell you, you're familiar with tell, Terry Schilling. He used to make the E-lights and all that. Remember oh, Terry yeah. Schilling and Mike Schilling, those guys? You remember the FLW he fished? No. Um, when the FLWs used to come to Roosevelt, he was fishing as a pro on the FLW tournament and he had a skeeter boat, you know, doing high sixties, probably close to 70 and they're headed towards grapevine, you know, towards that grapevine ramp. And they're just, you know, his co-angler and I, I can't remember the co-angler's name, but he's telling me the story. And again, it's Terry's okay now and he's still around kicking. It's so all good. <laughs> it's just kind of, Kind of, yeah. It, anyway, so they come around Windy Hill and they're going towards Grapevine. You know, and the co-anglers just sitting there. It's cold and everything. You got the mask on and everything, and they're getting closer and closer to the bank, and they're still doing, you know, seventy miles an hour. So, you know, closer and closer. So the co-angler's holding on. He's, you know, he even said, "I had my eyes closed half the time because I didn't want my eyes to water." He goes, "Oh, my eyes!" And the bank just getting closer and closer, and he he kind of. He kind of looks over and looks over again. And Terry had had a stroke going around oh. Windy Hill. And what he saw was. Oh my gosh, dude. Absolutely unconscious, unresponsive with the boat full throttle, full trim heading oh. to the bank. So he runs over and shuts the throttle down, shuts the key off. And luckily phone service over there. He got a, you know, called 911 and got the, got the rescue over there. But so that's a good tip for your co-anglers. Maybe just keep an eye on your boaters too, because you never know when a medical emergency might happen. And sure. 
he would not have been paying that attention. That is unbelievable. I mean, you can trust your boater 100%, and most of us have been driving boats for thousands of hours and have a lot of wheel time. But uh, let me tell you, you know, if you, if you stroke out or, or low blood sugar, have a heart attack, you know, any of these things that can cause an altered level of consciousness or unconsciousness, you know, it's probably a good idea maybe just to, you know, glance and make sure your boater's still conscious. That's crazy, dude. That's no, unbelievable. So, yeah. And thank God again, another, and a happy ending. Wow. Yes. Yes. And, and Terry has little deficits now. He's still out fishing Roosevelt. He's living up there now. And, and actually, I was going to go buy some digs from him here soon. They still have some left over from when they were pouring them. Nice. That's cool. That's crazy. That's a, dude, that's a good story. Those are good. I knew you'd have some good ones, man. <laughs> that was a first. I've never heard of a, a person having a stroke driving a boat, and I just pulled off a, a poopy diaper change in an episode of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast. So we're, we're blazing new frontiers today. That's terrible. Nick's gone <laughs> to the mobile headset because he's always on the move. He's always got stuff to do there. <laughs> Well, dude, that's a, uh, that's good stuff, man. And, and all those things, they all go back to, you know, if, if you're wearing your life jacket, your kill switch, they at least prepare you better for if something crazy does happen. The, the bad scenario is not going to probably be as bad as it could have been, but um, dude, uh, what do you have coming up, man? I know, do you have any events coming up that you want to talk about or uh, anything you want to uh, promote on here? I absolutely do have a cool, have a pretty big, a pretty big event. I'm pretty excited about. We have a, you know, a pretty good guest, I think, is he's pretty talented, you know, catches quite a few fish. Not you're, trying, you're trying not to smile. Yeah, July twenty-fourth, man. We're we're gonna try to try to do it up pretty big. Um we got the you know, desert bass seminars we've we've gone to so we can kind of go mobile and do the thing ever since COVID and you know, Levi at Bass Pros had his hands full over there, but he's invited us back, which is awesome. Levi's actually gonna cook the hot dogs uh for nice. us and do a little, do a little lunch and a, in a big, uh, you know, memorial for Mark Townsend, uh, you know, who uh, recently passed away with some heart issues and, and uh, do a great raffle for him. Hopefully raise some money uh, in Mark's two big passions were the Phoenix junior bass masters, you know, and the kids and uh, you know, game and fish with the stocking. So we're going to sell tickets. We'll probably have a couple thousand dollars with raffle prizes. You know, I know Levi's donating several rods and reels and, some you know really nice coolers and that kind of thing so we'll sell raffle tickets for five bucks a piece and and give half the money to, to the junior bass masters and half the money to game and fish to contribute to the fish stocking and we have a, a a very special guest one of the best in the west and and i think i think one of arizona's favorite pros uh josh bertrand oh geez man <laughs> well and you know highly <laughs> highly debatable on that i don't know <laughs> I'm For pretty sure. popular. I, I love, I love what you're doing with this dude. And I love what you're doing with all these seminars. You do so much for the community. And uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't get the chance to, uh, to shout out Mark earlier in this episode, but he will definitely be missed. He was a great guy and he did a lot for the community. He hosted a, a radio show and a lot of people know him from there, but uh, you know, he always had nice things to say about us on there and uh, man, we'll, we'll miss him a lot. He's, he's a great guy. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people will turn out and uh, man, you're, you're doing this all for a really good cause this week. So that's that or in July. So that'll be really cool. So July 24th, we're going to start at noon and us, us local guys will go up there and probably start talking on the tank. And that's, what's cool is we have the tank. If you want to show some baits, I guess you kind of know a little bit about that too. <laughs> oh yeah. Heck yeah, dude. 
Done, we've yeah. done so much on that tank. That tank's got a lot of use. Yeah. Fighting there too. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the cool part. So yeah. So we'll, we'll probably start around one o'clock and then we're, we're planning on having you on it too. And, and that's subject to, you know, to change, but it, it should be a real fun event. Hope to get a lot of people there and we're, we're going to have some great prizes, have a good time, have a, have a hot dog and get a meet you. And, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's the big thing coming up for me. And then, Really, honestly, after that, I, I, I really want to fish the U.S. Open, and I'm, I'm bummed it's not at Lake Mead anymore. We can't, you know, launch there, <laughs> I guess, anymore. But, you know, I, I, I like Mojave also. Mojave's a cool lake. I, it's a challenge, and, and I like it. So I, I'm planning on fishing the U.S. Open at this point, you know, if, if as long as everything keeps going well. Good, man. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see you again, more and more on the water again, like uh, we always had in the past. And uh, yeah, uh, our last tournament, Matt had caught a, Matt and I were, were kind of bouncing back and forth, sharing a, a hole up at Roosevelt. And uh, I I was pretty pissed at the end of the day because we had, we had popped in and fished this thing a couple of times, never caught anything good. And then Matt came in and caught a six pounder on it, right? Like uh, later <laughs> in the day, he caught a six on it. So and he ended up edging us out too. So uh, thanks a lot for that, dude. <laughs> yeah, the re the real story is Brian Brian Boyer with Airtime Cooling and Heating. Uh, he caught two fish all day, and about noon, you know, I put a limit in the boat for eight pounds. You know, throwing ten inch worms, Berkeley power worms, and and trying to get that big bite. And Brian was getting frustrated about noon, saying, "Man, I I just can't get bit today." And he caught two fish all day a six and a seven pounder. We went up in the tunnel and then he got a seven and I'm like, <laughs> I got five fish for eight pounds. You got two fish for 13 pounds or whatever. So, so it worked out well. We, you know, there's a little luck involved in this sport. I think, you know, so for sure that was in, in involved. <laughs> yeah, you were in the right places at the right times, but that is dude. If you could get that out of your co-angler every time, could you imagine or your fishing partner? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Right on. Well, dude, uh, do you guys have anything else for Matt before we let him go? No, but uh, thanks for coming on. Those are great stories. We appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. Good to see you, Rob. I got to tell you one quick thing too, Matt. It's, it's really good to see you. It's been a long time. Uh, <clears throat> I got pretty ill back in, I think it was February or something. And I had a, a mobile IV tech come out to my house. And uh, a lot of those guys are, you know, part, firefighters doing it on the side part-time. And so you're sitting there for a long time waiting. And uh, I was like, are you fire? And like, oh, yeah, I'm Gilbert Fire. And I was like, you know Matt Shura? And his face lit up. He's like, Matt Shura, you know Matt Shura? And he was so excited. I was like, oh, yeah, Matt's a, Matt's a good friend. He's a, an awesome guy. And uh, it was pretty cool, man. So you're definitely, you're famous. All walks of life. <laughs> yeah, in a good way, though. <laughs> I'm sure he's well, a legend in the fire department. Now I can only imagine. My fire friends are all pretty pretty crazy so i'm sure uh i'm sure you're a legend in that circle too there's some stories out there for sure <laughs> right on. i well, love dude, it thanks so much man and uh we'll see you soon everyone remember july 24th over at bass pro starting at noon yep looking forward to it brother thanks for having me man thanks guys it was awesome see dude. you matt see you later see you. thanks